Well, thank you very much for that reading, and thank you so much to all of you for the invitation to preach at this very special service to mark John's transition to a new chapter of ministry. I bring greetings from Moreland's College, a little bit further along on the south coast, where I've been principal for about the last 15 months, and a great privilege that is. In the reading that we've just heard, in verse 32, quoted in that letter from FIEC earlier, Paul says this to the Ephesian elders as he takes his leave from them. Now I commit to you to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Summer 1997 was a very special time in John and Anne's life and also in my life. They moved from Lowestoft, from Beresford Evangelical Church, to this church to take on the ministry that has been celebrated today. At the same time, I moved from full-time pastoral ministry to take up the post of Head of Theology at the Evangelical Alliance. Lansing Tab is a member of the Alliance And in that summer, John's and my friendship was deepened. He had already written to me a little before that about a book I'd written on the state and nature of evangelicalism in Britain. And his correspondence was characteristically, as I'd come to see, deep and profound and thoughtful. And we'd met in London, but it was only when he moved here that I was able to come and visit him and pray with him and talk theology with him and reflect on ministry together, which was immensely rich. And I'm pleased to say that since then, we've kept up that correspondence and that friendship. And here I stand today as testimony to John's support of me and prayer for me over so many years. It's not just theology, though, and prayer that has bound us together. Let me just say that we have a mutual love for the music of Bob Dylan. And uh, it's John who keeps my feet to the fire over the endless succession of box sets, of outtakes of Dylan's work that keep getting published and released year after year. So uh, if you know Blowing in the Wind and Like a Rolling Stone, that's fantastic. But if you want to know about the eighth different version of Blind Willie McTell on that outtake number 23 from that particular session that took place in the early 80s, then you need to go to John because he's ahead of me on that kind of stuff. Our friendship is based on the gospel, but it's also based on the whole revelation of God in creation. Well, now John's near 23-year tenure as pastor of this congregation is coming to an end as he prepares to retire or as a colleague of mine at Moreland's more soundly puts it as he moves into a new chapter of God's call on his life. Now when John asked me to preach at this service our reading from Acts chapter 20 suggested itself as a fairly ready text on which to meditate about bidding farewell saying goodbye And of course, that is the context that Paul is in as he takes his leave of the Ephesian elders in his third missionary journey en route to Jerusalem. As we'll see, there's 
in fact, a great deal in what Paul says here that provides encouragement and affirmation to the elders and members of this church, as well as to John and Anne as they make this move. But I think it probably might just be worth acknowledging that not everything in this text is a direct read across to where we are today. For one thing, John and Anne aren't moving to a new city overseas like Paul did, but are staying close by on the sea here in Lansing. For another thing, unless there's something I don't know, his faithful preaching of the gospel over all these years is not just about to land him in jail, as happened to Paul not too long after this incident, and we're all, no doubt, very grateful for that. Paul served the Ephesian congregation faithfully for three years. Well, John has greater longevity in a single congregation uh, than the Apostle Paul. And what's more, whereas Paul seems convinced in verse 25 that he and the Ephesian church will never see each other again, I believe that by staying just around the corner, John and Anne have every expectation of bumping into any number of elders and members and associates of this church in the supermarket, in the cafe, on the beach, and wherever. And again, we're all very grateful to God for that. But as I say, on other fronts, there is much in this passage that speaks to the situation that we find ourselves in this afternoon. In verse 32, Paul speaks of an inheritance or a legacy that the Ephesian church can take forward with confidence from his time in leadership among them. These days, you know, politicians and business titans think a lot, don't they, about legacy when they're heading towards their retirement or moving on to another job or position. But typically, when we hear about legacy in the news today or on the radio or in the media, it's about that individual's brand image, their status, their, their, their personal mark on history. Here, though, in Acts chapter 20, the legacy and the inheritance that Paul's talking about is defined by God. It's defined by what Paul calls the word of God's grace that can build you up. The word of God's grace that can build you up. Friends, the thing that most immediately impressed me about John when I met him first was that he was and is now, above all else, a man of God's word. He's a man dedicated to the word of God made flesh in Jesus Christ our Savior. He's a man dedicated to the word of God written infallibly in the Old and New Testaments in the Holy Scriptures. And he's a man dedicated to the dynamic communication of that word in faithful gospel preaching and faithful gospel ministry. And that's the first aspect of the inheritance of God's grace that I want to highlight from this farewell of Paul to the Ephesian elders here in Acts 20. A ministry shaped by the word of God's grace isn't a ministry focused on the minister and his skills, considerable though John's skills are, as many of you know. No, precisely because it comes from grace, 
It's a ministry that's focused on the gift of salvation and eternal life offered to the world by God in Jesus. And on the Bible's supremely trustworthy recognition and record of salvation in Jesus Christ. Now Paul uses a variety of verbs in this passage to describe that communication, that faithful dialoguing about God's word, that faithful transformation that comes about through the communication of God's word. In verse 20, he speaks of announcing, and also in verse 27, of announcing the word of God. In verse 20, of teaching the word of God. In verses 21 and 26, of testifying to the word of God. And of course, in verse 25, of preaching the word of God. And John has done all of those things diligently and faithfully here as he did before at Beresford Evangelical Church. But first and foremost, I know that he would say that the teaching and the evangelism and the testifying have taken their cue from his regular, dedicated, week by week, month by month, year by year, exposition of God's word in scripture here in this place. That's a precious thing. And to those of you who are members of this church, I say to you, discern in your choice of the next pastor that that same dedication is evident. When I was preparing this sermon, I asked John if he could just share a few autobiographical and devotional reflections on his time here at the tab. His response was deeply moving, and in many ways, At the heart of it were these words, echoing another word from Paul to the Ephesians, from 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 2. I have preached, he said, the word, in season and out of season, thousands of times for the past two decades. Preaching has been the main area of my academic study. It's been the area I've taught in a growing relationship with Latvia Biblical Center in Riga. Indeed, one of the great joys of the past decade has been seeing the completion of the Latvia Biblical Center. John goes on to say in that note how much he's valued the partnership between this church and that wonderful place that he has helped to establish in Riga. And that special partnership in the gospel echoes the inheritance of God's word of grace that Paul emphasizes here in verse 32. Those three intensive years with that local congregation in Ephesus for Paul no doubt reinforced the importance for him of being embedded in a local community. But as you know, Paul, the apostle's ministry, was also translocal. It was international. It was global at the same time. And it was global as John's ministry has become more global because God's word knows no borders of nationality or ethnicity or of race. And that, of course, means that as John has modeled this ministry, the word of God that speaks to local communities and all nations alike, has been in him 
good news for this town, but also the same good news that God commends us to preach across countries and continents blighted by sin and riven today, as always, with division. The word that Paul has ministered from house to house and in public in Ephesians, in the Ephesian context here in verse 20, is the same word that unites Jews and Greeks across the world in verse 21 of this reading. It's the only word capable of healing and forgiving and reconciling in that way because it's the only word that can bring people to repentance and saving faith, as he also stresses in verse 21. In verse 24, this this word of God's grace is good news for all eternity precisely because it's a word of grace, a word from God about a free gift that just can't be earned or brokered or negotiated or, 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 or bought. It's free, given out of God's boundless mercy. In fact, this word of God's grace, this this inheritance that builds up churches and defines their mission is bought by only one thing. As Paul stresses in verse 28, it's bought with Christ's own blood. Paul knew, as John knows, that however detailed preaching gets, however focused the ministry of the word might be on one passage or another, that ministry must ultimately come back to this central gospel message of Jesus' death for sinners on Calvary, his defeat of death in his atoning sacrifice on the cross, the blood he shed, and the victory of the cross, and the shed blood of Christ that was confirmed when on the third day he rose again. Hallelujah. Elsewhere, in Galatians 6.14, Paul writes of boasting about nothing but the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ through whom I was crucified to the world and the world to me. That, I know, is a key focus of the inheritance of God's word of grace that God would want to leave with you. Whatever leadership looks like here Next at the tab, may that leadership always, always be centred on the cross of Christ, the blood of Christ shed on that cross, the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Folks, get that focus right. Secure that foundation. And as John has showed in his ministry here, it becomes possible to Do what Paul goes on to commend in verse 27. Namely, to proclaim the whole will, or as the English Standard Version puts it, the whole counsel of God. In the book that John wrote in 1998, the book that became a key topic for our discussion because it resonated so much with what I'd written in my book that he wrote to me about first, Fly on the Fence, In this really excellent book, meditating on where things stood for evangelicals at that point, 
John has a whole chapter on the importance for preachers and teachers of the word in engaging with current affairs, with art, with literature, and with music. And although I don't think he says it in the book, he meant, I'm sure, particularly the music of Bob Dylan. <laughs> by doing that, by engaging in what John Stott calls double listening, listening to the word of God in Scripture, the primary revelation of God in Scripture, but also listening to God's voice in the world, our preaching becomes more passionate, it becomes more relevant, it becomes more vibrant and more vivid. John's modelled that so well. And his passion in relating the word to the world has been a key element in our friendship. I hope as he embraces a more leisured rhythm of life, not too leisured, but more leisured, that there'll be more time to do that double listening and reflecting on the word of God in scripture as it relates to the whole counsel of God or what the Reformed theologians call God's common grace in creation. So John bequeaths an inheritance here at the tab that's defined first and foremost by the word of God's grace, so faithfully ministered in preaching, teaching, evangelism, and witness. But closely related to that ministry of the word are two other ministries that Paul also mentions here in this text, and which are kind of subsets of that inheritance of God's word of grace that he majors on in verse 32. The first is what he calls in verses 28 to 31 pastoral care or shepherding of the flock. And the other is social action or what he calls in verse 35 helping the weak. So if the inheritance of ministry that Paul highlights here primarily is a ministry of the word, it's also a ministry of shepherding or caring for the church of God. The close connection of this to the ministry of the word, to sound teaching and preaching, is really underscored in this text by the fact that Paul is primarily concerned that the Ephesians might be led astray by false teaching. He makes a connection between sound preaching and good pastoral care. It's not that the two are distinct. It may be the reason in also writing to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4 where he says some are called to be pastors and teachers. And there's a reading which would see those two ministries as two sides of the same coin. And they certainly have been, as you've been hearing, in the ministry of John. Friends, you know John to be a winsome and kind pastor. Like Paul in verses 19 and 30, he serves God and the people in his care with great humility. And even, no doubt, as Paul experienced, with tears. In fact, in that same note that he sent to me, he wrote this. Having already heard that he said that 99% of ministry is turning up, he goes on to say, for 22 years I have turned up, been available, had an open door and a listening ear. I've shared many tears as well as smiles. And I can personally testify 
to John's empathy and pastoral wisdom. Every three or four months, we've established a pattern since I came to Moorlands of my coming here, walking along the beach, talking in John's study, yes, about theology, praying a lot, the occasional reference to Bob Dylan and other musical artists gets in there as well. And I can't tell you how rich and how beneficial that is and how rich and beneficial those pastoral dialogues have been over the last almost quarter century with my trusted friend John. But notice here that when Paul speaks about the importance of wedding pastoral care to sound preaching of the gospel, he speaks in the plural, not in the singular. He speaks of elders, plural, of overseers, plural, and of shepherds tending and guarding the flock, plural. Along with his personal gifting as a preacher and pastor, John is gifted in working collaboratively. He's gifted in working with a team, not just with the elders, but with, with the members as they gather together and make decisions together here. Now, in my own Anglican tradition, we often associate the word, not me so much, but we often associate the word overseer with that word bishop, with a single person with jurisdiction over a whole territory called a diocese. We're not going to get into all the debates about the ordering of the church, particularly because this is an FIEC church, an independent evangelical church. But what I will tell you as an Anglican is that it's absolutely indisputable here and elsewhere in the New Testament that the ministry of oversight and of eldership and of pastoral care all overlap to a considerable degree and all, all of them, are to be exercised corporately rather than just individually. John has not been a lone ranger leader. He's not been some kind of hero CEO type pastor disappearing across the horizons while the, the followers are left wondering where he's heading. And as he moves on, it'll be crucial for you to choose somebody under God's grace who can pull the congregation together as John has pulled you together in corporate leadership. So your inheritance is an inheritance of faithful ministry of the word of God's grace and an inheritance of shared communal pastoral care. And thirdly and finally, the ministry to which John has been called and which he's exercised and to which you need to be called again and again and to maintain and develop and help flourish is a ministry of social outreach or what Paul calls in verse 35 helping the weak remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself that it is more blessed to give than to receive as he began his pastorate here in the late 90s John wrote again in fly on the fence about how he'd also just begun to get that work in Latvia off the ground just a few years before your move here, wasn't it, 93? As we've seen, that work has always been absolutely centred on the word of God in scripture and on preaching that word of God. That, that is what it's there for. But in chapter 5 of the book, John wrote this. As we observe various needs in Latvia, 
We found it impossible not to get involved in practical action. One preacher we trained also became a co-driver, taking medical supplies to Latvia, a fundraiser and coordinator for the support of a Latvian doctor. I didn't seek or receive a call to do any of this. It simply needed to be done. It simply needed to be done. In Paul's terms here in Acts 20, helping the weak bears out Jesus' own emphasis on giving over receiving. Or as Paul puts it elsewhere again to the Ephesians, this time sometime later in Ephesians 2.10, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's the salvation by grace through faith. But it issues, it issues in works of mercy. In John's notes to me, one of the things that stood out among so many moving reflections was his thanks to God for having played a lead role in kick-starting the local food bank here, one of many now being run, of course, by churches across the UK. Do read more about that on the Lansing Tag website. It's very, very profound. And as with pastoral care, that aspect of Christian ministry, that practical aspect of service, isn't an end in itself. But it flows from faithful commitment to preach and share and live out God's life-transforming word. But in that context, it belongs with the inheritance of grace that you will need to continue in this place and will continue to need to bear out that the community around you might be blessed and come to know Jesus as saviour. So, this is your inheritance, those of you who are committed to this congregation. This is the inheritance, indeed, of all who follow Jesus Christ. It's been borne out, exemplified, embodied in John's ministry these past 22 years. But more importantly, it's known and understood through God's work in his life and among you. It's an inheritance rooted in faithful preaching, teaching, and evangelism. It's an inheritance immersed in scripture and centered on the cross. It's an inheritance of pastoral care and protection held collaboratively and informed crucially by John's home life with Anne and with the family with Naomi and Rachel and Andrew, and then with the extended family of Tom and Ashley, of Oscar, Cosette, Cecily and Felicity. Again, it's to an Ephesian audience in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 4 that Paul says an overseer, for that is what John has been for you in this congregation. An overseer should manage his family well if he hopes to manage the church well. And John has certainly done that. And then the inheritance you bear for these last two decades and into the future is an inheritance of God's gracious working through John and others to serve the weak, 
as Christ himself blessed the poor and the sick and the dispossessed. Friends, may God bless you as you cherish and cultivate this rich inheritance of God's word of grace. And John, my friend, my brother in Christ, may you and Anne and the family know God's blessing and favour as you enter this next chapter of ministry with God as your eternal anchor and guide. Amen.